Okay, today is April the 21st, 2011. We'll take a few moments to prepare ourselves. Remember that uh, Communion Sunday is the 1st of May, and you can start signing up already and uh, taking care of that. And also the sign-up sheet for the guys is back there that uh, I think there's still a few sheets around that describe what we're um, invited to. And I think that's it. So, okay, let's, let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your word that we can always depend upon, for the Holy Spirit that helps us, enables us to understand your mighty word. We thank you for all that you do to prepare us for what's coming next and for what's going on now. So we pray that you'll help us to focus, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I thought this might be a good time to just touch the water a bit with a subject that is probably sensitive, controversial to some. It really shouldn't be, but we're right on the uh, cusps of having a holiday celebrated this Sunday, Easter holiday, and like so many holidays, there are traditions that are linked to it, and Easter and Christmas are what they call religious holidays, even though they have pagan origins, and of course then there is um, the, what is it, the witches and the goblins, uh, Halloween, (laughs) been a long day, Uh, Halloween, and all of these have traditions and things that are associated with them, and I think we need to pause and just think a few moments about the traditions and the habits of what goes on on those holidays, because holidays can be a very sensitive subject because of the traditions. Some families will observe the traditions as far as, I I guess you could say the secular tradition. For Easter, it would be Easter egg hunting and the the Easter bunny and so forth. I got a card from my daughter on email, and it had a picture of my three grandchildren sitting in front of an Easter bunny, a big Easter bunny. But it... I don't even think it was a suit. I think it was just made out of metal or something. It didn't even look like it was. Usually they have somebody put on a bunny suit and they come up, I guess like Santa Claus. You sit on their lap and I don't know what they do. I don't know if there's a list or what. But they anyway, uh, that's traditional. Uh, they have uh, in Christmas, of course, Christmas time, they have the tradition of giving gifts and Santa Claus and all those type things. If you've gone here for very long, you know I'm no Santa Claus fan. But 
there, there are traditions linked to that. And then with regards to Halloween, uh, kids go trick-or-treating. I went trick-or-treating when I was a kid. And the viewpoints considering these are wide and varied. For instance, you have one extreme. For instance, the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, don't, they don't celebrate or acknowledge any of these holidays, and especially Halloween. And their children, for the most part, are told, if you go trick-or-treating, you're going to hell. And I've talked to people before who had strong feelings and said, that is a shame that they don't allow their children to go trick-or-treating. Uh, they get uh, left out. All the other kids get candy and get to have this fun, and they don't. And that's always been curious to me because I would think that I would be more concerned that the children, have they don't understand grace uh, if they adhere to their parents' theology and their ideology, they're unsaved. I'm more concerned about that than what they do on any particular holiday. Now, there are people who judge others for not observing these traditions. And there's others who judge them for observing the traditions. In other words, for a lot of people, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And so what, what should we think about this? Well, <clears throat> the Bible does not specifically address any particular given holiday or what we should observe or what we should not observe. And I think that the idea to live and let live should be the one that is used with regards to these issues because <clears throat> we have to use our discernment. And the husband is the head of the house and he should get with his wife and they should discuss these things and come up with something that they that they're comfortable with and that they are able to feel in agreement, and this should be the policy. They should have the freedom to do that, to use their discernment as to what is happening. Uh, some people have the, the habit of saying, okay, well, my children are going to uh, go Easter egg hunting. My children are going to um, have the, go sit on Santa Claus's lap and do this type of thing. But they're going to let them know that this is pretend. And I think that's the important thing. If what you do on particular holidays as far as how you, you either celebrate it or don't celebrate it, whatever traditions you want to involve yourself in and those that you don't, is your business. It's your discernment. But I'm telling you that the young people, the children, should not think that this is reality. No matter what you do, if they do get involved in these activities, they should be instructed that this is not reality. This is pretend. This is uh, going Easter egg hunting or whatever is, is fun. It's a game, but it has no reality to it. The other side of that coin, the argument that some would use is, well, it's a distraction from what is really the point of Christmas and Easter. Well, Easter, I'm giving away some of my Easter message right now, but anyway, uh, Easter, you don't find the word Easter in the Bible. It's, it's 
mistranslated in, in some versions where it would say Passover, and they, they translated Easter. So I'm, one reason I'm not a fan of Santa Claus is because I think Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and uh, anything that uh, there's other uh, traditions and holidays, but I think it, it's, it's an effort to distract people away from what these holidays have really been set forth for. Even though Christmas, I, some people would argue and say, I dare you say that Christmas is a pagan holiday, or at least originally it was. Well, anybody who does any research at all will find very quickly that that is true, that it, it did have pagan origins. And some of the things that we like to do is something that <coughs> maybe started out as being worshiping uh, false gods or whatever. But I think the, the over period of time, traditions and, and patterns change. I had one person uh, confront me one time because we had a Christmas tree in this church. And I got outside and I was surprised because I, I knew this person. I didn't think that that would be anything would be a, a big deal. And I was backed against the wall and I was told up and down that this is a pagan symbol, having it in the church and so forth. And I just said, well, I guess it has a lot to do with how you look at it because it's a tree. I think a tree has great significance in Christianity. You know, this kind of tree, the cross. So I guess what I'm exhorting you to do is not major in the minors. You, you don't want to make a point. You don't want to die on that hill of what tradition may be, how anybody observes it or doesn't observe it. Because I think that's a matter of discernment. And there are hostilities, let me tell you. One, probably the most active time for emergency rooms is in December around Christmas. And, oh, it's peace on earth, goodwill to men until families get together and they start discussing what their beliefs are and what the traditions that should be held and should not be held. So I'm just saying remember that. But we're not going to have an Easter egg hunt here. Um, if you want to do it, I won't condemn you. That's your business. That's between you and the Lord. And if you instruct your children, hey, they're playing a game. It's called uh, find the egg. And they're colored. You can eat the egg when you're done. Nowadays, they're plastic and they have candy in there. And you can do anything you want to do. Some people think what uh, you, you should go ahead and do this because you are typifying the law of, of love or the law of liberty. See, we have liberty to do things. We, have the, we can eat anything that we want to eat. You can drink anything you want to drink. And there's no sin. If you want to go out and eat chicken feet, octopus and squid, have at it. The Bible doesn't say anything. It doesn't condemn it in, in the slightest. Now, that we're not under the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law, the, the people under that law, they could not do that. But we can. Now, you can't drink too much if it's a certain kind of beverage. But there is a time where the law of love kicks in and the law of liberty is suppressed so that we will not hurt a weaker believer. 
Because if they see you drinking and they are a teetotaler and they think that drinking is a sin, even though it is not a sin, then it could harm your brother. And you have to curtail that activity for the sake of others. And I think if we just use our own common sense when we are, especially when children are involved in what they're doing, I think that would go a long ways towards lowering the noise. There'd be less animosity. There'd be less stabbings and shootings and murders even if people would just have unconditional love and let people do things as unto the Lord without judging them. So that's my little bit on the idea of judging other people for how they celebrate the holidays. And it's, um, like I said, it can be very, very volatile. Maybe some of you in your own soul, you're thinking, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So we're not to judge other people for how they do this. And what we do is between us and the Lord, and we shouldn't be uh, pressured into doing something that goes against our own conscience. Okay? All right. Let's get to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Experiential sanctification. Here it is on the board, at least this, this part of it. There are certain things that you can hardly overemphasize, and this is one of them. And if you talk to the average believer, and I'm talking about the church going to believer, the one that goes to church every time the doors are open, and you mention sanctification in itself, chances are they don't even know what it means. It's a, it's a very religious, righteous sounding word but they don't really know what it means and when it comes to being more specific than that and you're talking about positional or lawful sanctification as opposed to experiential sanctification there's not one in ten thousand that has a clue as, as to what you're talking about but it's very important for us to be able to make these distinctions it's it's, it's similar to being able to make a distinction between the pre-canon and post-canon period of the church because we do not operate the same way as the first century church did. And that is a, some people say, well, you're, you're, you're just uh, splitting hairs. No, these are technicalities that we have to understand if we're going to live a Christian life and be good servants unto God, we have to make these distinctions. So we make a distinction with regards to sanctification between the positional and the experiential. Now some of you have already, you know this. You, could, you may be able to do a better job than I do getting up here and teaching it. No notes or anything. You can just spit it out. But review is paramount, especially with regards to this issue. Because if you don't understand this issue... But the difference between these two types of sanctification, chances are you will never have eternal security. And when the Bible is speaking about salvation and it's talking about being delivered from something and are being sanctified in a certain fashion, 
and you think, oh, well, it, it has to be talking about going to heaven or going to hell because it used the word saved. Sanctification is just a, a, a mystery. It's nebulous. It's abstruse. They don't have a clue what it's talking about, and yet we are required to know the difference. And most of what you read in the New Testament has to do with that bottom one, experiential sanctification. Just say those words to someone and watch their eyes. Chances are they're going to turn glassy. They're going to have a faraway stare. They don't even know what you're talking about. So we, but we do have to know. So here we have uh, positional lawful means every believer is permanently set apart to God at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. It's one of those at least 40 things that God does for us at the moment of salvation. We are permanently set apart to God. It happens in a moment. doesn't require anything from us except one thing, and what is that? Believing, faith. We are sanctified by faith. We receive eternal life through faith. We receive God's imputed righteousness by faith. It's all about faith. And any verse that requires something other than faith is not salvific. It's not talking about something in a positional sense. It's talking about it in an experiential sense. And that's where people start thinking that, oh, well, I have to do this and I have to do that in order to be positionally sanctified. In order to go to heaven, I have to do this. And they don't understand this distinction. Some of the things I said are here. The, the, the difference between the positional and the experiential. See, God is more interested in the here and now. What's going in your life right now? There, if I just get on with it, we're going to get to a, a part of the verse. We're going into verse 14, and it has something to do with the purpose. And the purpose is for us to, I can't believe that God is this gracious, for us to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word gain there means to acquire that glory. I think the, probably the better word there would be to share His glory. And that is, that is an awesome thought, that God not only would save our sorry souls and that we could do nothing other than just trust and receive the gift of salvation eternally, eternal salvation, but that He is interested in us and loves us enough to where He is going to share His own Son's glory with us. You just don't pass by that one. You, just, you, just don't, you, you have to pause and think about that one. What tremendous grace. So you see all this. There's no reason for me to, to amplify it again. On the left, you have the positional. On the right, you have the experiential. Chosen from the beginning. This can be taken from the beginning of when Paul started his ministry. It can also be taken from the eternity past, which is the way I think the, the, the context shows this to be. Uh, God chose us in, from the beginning, in eternity past. He knew you. Can, you. can you fathom that? There was no universe yet. There was only God. In eternity past, He chose you. 
He knows you. He knew you. That's how great our God is. Because time is nothing to Him. And He knows everything at all times. You know that we, we, we keep just a little bit of information here in our, I don't know what lobe it is, but it's in temporal. We just have enough, and it, it's in our conscious memory. We're thinking about it right now. All the memory that we have is massive compared to what we are able to deal with at any given time. It's, it's in our consciousness. Right now you have some, something going on in your conscious mind. It's going on, but it's, not, it's very small compared to what is there. <clears throat> and some of us don't do that good a job with that. I don't. Today, this little gizmo here is called a, I call it a pen drive. I took it out of the, out of my briefcase because I needed to put it in my, and I didn't, I, I did this, but I, it didn't register. I threw it over my shoulder. It was hanging over my shoulder. I went, out, I went outside and let, I mean, didn't go outside. I just went over and let the cat out and went back, and I spent about 10 minutes looking for that drive. And I was, and the long, I don't know about you, the longer I look for something, the more frustrated I get. And I start getting angry, then I have to start rebounding. And I, you know, <laughs> and I don't know what made me look down like this, and it was right here the whole time. And Carrie was over there, she was trying to, oh, you know, okay, you know, just try to stay away from the barrage here. And I said, look over here. She said, what? I just pointed. That's how my conscious memory is. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just seconds is what I have. Now, the reason I said all that is compare it to what God knows and has always known. He doesn't have a conscious memory as we do. He carries every thought, every fact, everything in his mind at all times. But, and it's not only of one person, it's from every person. And it's not just of the facts that deal with you or one nation. It's the entire world for all time is in his mind. And it has been even before he created it. I would say that's enough to blow your doors off. I mean, we have a God that has... And so when we see he chose you from the beginning, from the eternity past, we need to just appreciate how wonderful and how powerful and how all-knowing our God is. And He chose us in the past, not only, well, let's go to the next, not only for salvation to be eternally saved, but to share His own Son's glory with us. Uh, that, that's, just, that's just an awesome thought. He chose you from the, from the beginning, and this is, I'm, I'm missing something here. Let's go up to the... Well, I don't have it here. Um, I'll just go into my Bible. As a last resort, go to your Bible. <laughs> I said that as tongue-in-cheek, you know. Uh, the what? <laughs> okay, um, verse 14. And it was for this that he called you through our gospel. Well, we're not even there yet. That's verse we're in uh, that's uh, verse 14, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. That's the next part. For salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. So we went over these other, these words last time. 
that we have at the beginning. They could, could be eternity past salvation, could be talking about eternal salvation or being saved temporally by being experientially sanctified. He's talking about the Spirit, that's a capital S, the Holy Spirit, but it's the word pneuma, it's not capitalized. Some people claim that this is talking about the human spirit. And then you have uh, faith in truth. That's where we ended last time, a faith in truth. And I said you can hardly overemphasize this, faith in truth, because what you believe is going to determine your eternal destiny. It's going to determine what your life is like here on earth in the interim time. Everything depends on what you believe. And yet today, in our postmodern age where everything is relative, what you believe doesn't seem to matter, but according to the Bible, it is of ultimate importance. So we went through most of this. The Lord's Prayer to the Father on our behalf in John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And here's the thing. If you want to be on solid ground and avoid all the pitfalls and all the landmines of deceit and deception and lies that are out there, you have to know the Word of God because this is what... It's like holding up something to the light to see what the truth is. Thy Word is truth. And there is no... You don't have a truth and I don't have a truth and someone else has a truth. There is only one truth and it is embodied in the text of the Scriptures. And everything must be measured against that. So it's not just all these things doesn't happen because you have a strong faith. It matters what your faith is in. It must be in the Word of God. So our only safeguard against believing, being devastated by believing so many lies is to weigh everything against the Word of truth. And then we went on to explain that the Word of truth is sufficient. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through what? True knowledge of Him. That could be, you could say, knowledge in the truth. True knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. You see how that is, uh, accompanies the verse that we're looking at? It's very similar. So faith in truth is not only how we are eternally saved, it is also how one is saved from the beginning, uh, excuse me, from being destroyed by the hidden landmines and so forth. Now, verse 14. And it was for this that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is great because it gives our life meaning, look at this, after we have been eternally saved by believing the gospel. Being eternally saved is the beginning and not the end. God wants us to gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at the verse again. And it for this He called you through our gospel. See, the gospel isn't the end game. Actually, like I said, it's the beginning. It's, it's like sitting on the bench. And when you believe in the gospel, now you're a player. Now you're on the field. What you're going to do is going to depend on your own volition. So, so many believers miss this. So many think that their purpose in life is to rear good children. Husbands think their mission is to be good providers and wives to keep a good home. And these are honorable and noble goals, but they are not the purpose for which God left us on earth 
after we were born. Do you understand that? How many people do you know that their whole goal in life, they live for their children? They are they not on earth. They're to be cannot be achieved more there or more. The goal is glorify God and you have everybody is not going to be glorified in fashion we're on is form glorification. And we're going to be like Christ, but we're all not going to wreck God. Do you get the learning and do you ever get tired of singing the trust obey? To learn first, then you have to lie. And that's how we'll be able to share. And we know that believe how I love Jesus to the end. Yeah, omniscience is what I was talking about while God was all the time. Not only the reality, but also or not just subcategory that deals with what's in the divine creed. The divine creed or the God is going to be reality. This is what's going to actually happen. Very important. He didn't have just knows. It was going. So he said, these are the things that are then the decrees. And the decrees are, are made based on his foreknowledge of what was going to be there. Because he already knows. Foreknowledge and foreknowledge still have free will. It's certain it's going to happen. Because he not that he caused it. It's the reality that's going to happen. And he knows that it's reality. He foreknew it. And so he did. The reason look, we can read these scriptures and we can say, why did it happen? Did you have a sweetheart? And it just didn't quite come to fruition. What if it did? What would happen through ten generations if you would have married uh, that sweetheart back in high school or in college or when you were in the army or whatever? What would have happened? Is there any way that any person on earth could ever figure that out or know it? No. Was God, no problem. He can tell you exactly everything that could have happened. And He carries that knowledge around in His mind at all times. It's just... I love to talk about this because it's so awesome. We have such an awesome God. So it's going to happen. It's predestined to happen to those who are called according to His purpose. We're called. Are you a believer? Were you called? What does this say? Those are called according to His purpose. And what is His purpose? Is His purpose to call those that he foreknew was going to, to accept the gospel and for them to have eternal life and live to heaven. Is that part of that calling? Is that part of his purpose? Yes. And here's the problem, though. Most believers think, that's it. That's the only purpose there is. I'm going to heaven because God settled this in eternity past, and this was the purpose that he called me was to spend eternity in heaven. That's what most believers think. What they don't know is what about the interim time? What about the time we're in now? And that what our verse is doing is plugging us into this. Look at the verse again. And it was for this He called you through our gospel. The gospel is what gets you in the game. You become part of God's family with the gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? The this, this is for it was this that he called you through the gospel because he doesn't only want to save you for all eternity. He wants you to share the glory of his son. That just grabs me. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Who, who's he talking about being the firstborn? 
Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn. He's the only one that has a resurrection body as of to this point. And whom he predestined in eternity past, his foreknowledge said, okay, John Brown there is going to believe in Jesus Christ because he knows it. He foreknew it before it happens. I'm going to predestine this person right here. See what he says? For whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the first, that Christ might be the first. And whom he predestined, these he also called. He called you. What did he call you for? And whom he called, these he also justified. When were you justified? Well, in one sense, you were justified at salvation. What about dying with Christ retroactively? See? We've, we're justified. Are unbelievers justified? Come on. Are they? No, they're not justified. They're condemned. You're justified in time when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the justification. Remember I was saying that happens at a point in time? And the sanctification usually happens over a longer period of time. There's the positional sanctification, but most of the time that application is in experience over time. So those uh, uh, for whom he predestined, these he also called. And those he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now you notice that these are in the past tense. You know why? Because in God's mind, it's already happened. It's so certain, and He knows it all. He's, he can think about it. You know, when you, when you do something, you can kind of like run a little newsreel in your mind, and you're, you're remembering things. First, let's give it a little try here. How many of you, and I want to see hands on this, how many, how many of you have ever gone water skiing for the first time? I want to see your hands. Some of you have never gone water skiing? Boy, this crowd needs to get out more often, I'll tell you. I was going to make such a good illustration. Some of you can't even remember. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I digress. What I was trying to think of, if you shut your eyes and you think about the first time you went water skiing, or how about the first time you rode a bicycle, first time of something, you can shut your eyes and you can kind of just your mind will just run that little newsreel right, right through your mind. Right? Skating board? <laughs> Something that's a first. And what I'm saying is you can run it through your mind. Here's why I'm trying to compare this. is In God's mind, that newsreel is constant, and it's everything at all times. And the re that's why it's in past tense. To God, it's, it's, time is a factor just for us. But it's not always going to be. And so he sees it all at one time. I, this is a, I, I've gone quickly through this verse, and you can spend weeks on this verse, but I'm trying to make some comparisons here. Romans 9, 23 through 24. And he did so, and what it preceded this was that he demonstrated his power and wrath in order that he, might make, that he may make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. We were prepared beforehand, before the universe was even created, for glory. Not just to be saved, 
Not just the, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. No, for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For this is the will of God, what? Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, can you tell so far from that verse what kind of sanctification this is talking about? Experiential. Our morality has nothing to do with our positional sanctification. So he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, experiential, that, you, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but he's called us in sanctification. He called us for this purpose. For this is why. Let's go back to the verse again there. Just shut your eyes. I don't want to make you dizzy here. Here it is right here. And, and it was for this that he called you. Quit that. It was for this that he called you uh, through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord, of Christ. It, it, the, the this is gaining the glory. How many, how many times do we ever think about this? I'm sorry. I'm just going to turn this off for a minute. <laughs> I just, you push the wrong button and this thing just is very unforgiving. Okay. God's choice of believers is timeless. It took place in eternity past, whereas His call through the gospel is current. You got that? This is talking about experiential sanctification. His call is, has to do, when he says this is what it's all about, it's for the here and now because it's done through the gospel. The call of God to the Thessalonians and their positive response should lead us to living as people of God in the present as well as to sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God in the future. And this is where we get uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 2.12, 4.7, 5.24. Then he says, through our gospel. Now, how many words have we looked at in the Greek that starts out in E-U? You should know by now that means good. And so you have the word euangelion, E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-O-N. It's a noun, genitive, singular, neuter. And you have the word you, E-U, good, plus angelo, which means news, equals good news or glad tidings. That's, where the, that's what the word means. Many have fallen for a false gospel of works of salvation, confusing it with works commanded of us after salvation. So when we're talking about the gospel, we have to be very careful. This whole thing has to do with discernment and being alert as to all the pitfalls out there. Look at Galatians 1, 6 through 7. This is Paul, and he is not bashful. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. There is a different gospel than the true gospel, which is really not another. What he's saying here, it's not another gospel. There's only really one good news. 
Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I just thought while I was on this word, gospel, I'd take advantage of it to point out that there is only one gospel, but there are many false gospels. Any gospel that has works for salvation is false. 2 Corinthians 11, 4. For, it, for if one come, comes and preaches another Jesus, how many Jesuses are there? There's only one true Jesus. Jesus Christ, many false ones. For if one comes preaching another Jesus who we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, wow, a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. What is that? Sarcasm. He's, he's upbraiding them here. He's rebuking them. He's saying, you ought to know better from this. You know how he starts out this? Well, in Galatians, he starts out that first chapter, he starts telling them, you stupid Galatians! How would that fly in today's services, huh? What if you came to, well, even Country Bible Church? And it might happen. I don't know. <laughs> you stupid people! Babies! Uh, it's not going to happen, but it, he was... He was he was rightfully rebuking them because they just didn't get it. That you may, here it is right here, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have glory. Now, I've already dealt with gain, and for we have some in here that have libronics, and they'll be checking all this out. And you may be looking for the verb that is in the subjunctive mood that you may gain. But you know what? Gain is a noun. It's not even a verb. So it can't be in the subjunctive. It's not even there. Just a, there's just a void there. So they fill that in. I think they filled it in right, but for those guys that are looking at this, the Greek grammar and all this, I'm just saying, if you're looking for a verb in the subjunctive, it's not there. So that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now glory is doxa. D-O-X-A. It's a noun, gender, singular, feminine. How many of you have ever sang the doxology? I think more people sang the doxology than have learned to water ski. Can't believe it. Y'all are a bunch of religious crowd here. Wow. I thought maybe a few hands might go up. The doxology comes from doxa. It's singing about the glory of God. So it, the, uh, doxa means to thank, to recognize, to glory. And it says, uh, by the way, I get this from the Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament by uh, Spiros Zodiades. Love to say his name. It's a look at the root word of doxa, and it comes from dokeo. Dokeo is the verb form, and that number 1380 is where you find it in Strong's Concordance. It means to think or suppose. Uh, it means something that is necessary. I can say this. I said it at home. Etymologically, etymologically, talking about etymology, okay? The word primarily means thought or opinion, especially favorable human opinion. Thus, in a secondary sense, reputation, praise, honor, splendor. 
In eternity past, not only did God design a plan for us to acquire eternal salvation, but he also for us uh, planned for us to gain or share the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is remarkable in light of knowing Romans 3.23 that says that all of us have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. What amazing grace that we go from falling short of the glory of God to gaining the glory of God, and he gets all the credit. Isn't that something? How do we go from sinning and falling short of the glory of God to in this verse, this is what it's all about. This is how you were saved through the gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I can't hardly, I don't even like to say that hardly because it sounds somewhat audacious, somewhat nervy that we little wormy peons will someday share the glory of God. Can you think in one way, uh, I, I, I'm just I'm out of time, but it, can you think in one way, some way that we're going to share the glory of God? I mean, we're going to have resurrection bodies, that's true. And we are now the body of Christ, but what will we be? The bride of Christ. And after we have gone through the judgment seat of Christ and we are pure and white and clean and Jesus Christ returns to planet earth to take over the title deed and to establish his kingdom for a thousand years and he brings his bride onto the scene, which is us. How can you not have that glory? Even in the weddings that we have today, where is the focal point? The bride. I mean, I love to see. Uh, I, I'm right now. I'm thinking about Robin's, Robin and Barry's. Uh, let's see, what's his name? Uh, Warner. Their their uh, wedding. I did their wedding, and it was at a hotel, and there was a spiral staircase that came down like this, and she had this beautiful white gown on. I think it was kind of an antique-looking type dress. And when she came down, you could just see those eyeballs click. And they, I don't remember the music, but it was stunning. And she walked up to where uh, Barry and I were. And it, it was just, I, it's one of those Kodak moments. I can still remember it. And I can also remember that during the rehearsal, she was cool as a cucumber. I mean, she was not nervous at all. And Barry was uptight. And I thought, man, when the wedding happens, we're going to have to have some smelling salts here because he's not going to make it. To my surprise, he was cool as a cucumber during the ceremony, and she was tight as a banjo string. <laughs> now, she's still beautiful. And the whole thing was great. But <clears throat> anyway, I, I'm just trying to give you some imagery to think about what this verse means and to think that, that God would think of us in this way that we would be honored through all the billions of people that have been on this earth and that have left this earth and all those probably billions that are going to yet be born and live on this earth and come back. Only we in this age are going to have that kind of glory. And if you have the king of the universe that has always had this glory, 
What must the glory going to be like for us? It's just, it's just a stunning thought. Now, I'll, ex- I'll expand. I'll start here next time, and I'll expand on this a little more. But in the meantime, we can be concentrating on the wonderful grace that took us from being falling short from the glory of God to God saying that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your love, your attention, your patience, your provision, your protection, your word. I think sometimes we need to just slow down and think. And when we study the scriptures, they're not just words on a page. They're reality before it happens. And I think that will give us more of a sense of appreciation for who you are and the plans that you have for us. It lifts our spirit. It inspires us. It helps us get through the daily grind and the drudgery and all the mayhem that is on this earth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this promise. We pray that you will help us to keep our focus on what's coming and be prepared. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.